broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. All right, so we're going to try to uh, get this sorted out and figured out once and for all. Uh, cue last week, obviously, uh, in a surprise move, uh, although after doing some poking around, it wasn't all that big of a surprise on, on why it happened. But anyway, David Irving, uh, the Raiders' defensive tackle, defensive uh, lineman, uh, got released uh, and came out of nowhere. And uh, we were all, you know, kind of anticipating um, – what David Irving was going to be able to bring to the table after missing a lot of football uh, in the previous year, year and a half or so after being on the suspended list and, you know, kind of running afoul of the rules uh, over the course of his career and, you know, not being able to stay on the field uh, consistently as a result of that. Uh, comes back last year uh, in October after coming off the NFL suspended list. The Raiders signed him. Uh, Played a little bit in a couple of games, not much, uh, but obviously showed the Raiders enough during uh, his time in the building that, hey, you know, worth giving him a shot again for this season. So everyone was looking at the statistics that he, that he put together in Dallas, uh, the, the skill set, the size, the, everything that he's got going for him. And, and I think Raider Nation was, all right, you know, maybe, maybe have a little bit of a hidden gem here. Uh, that if you can get him back on track, uh, can be an asset for this Raiders defensive line. Well, the Raiders release him on Friday. And as it turns <laughs> out, he wasn't um, showing up to OTAs. And, um, you know, and I know that they're voluntary, and Devon Cotton has made uh, his argument well known that this is a voluntary proposition. You shouldn't, um, if, if, if it's really voluntary and you don't show up, you shouldn't pay for it with your job. And my counter argument to that was, there's nothing voluntary when you're a David Irving and you're trying to cr- right. cl- literally scratch and claw your way back into the NFL, number one. Number two, I'm no mathematician, Q, but there's about 90 guys on the roster right now. And come September, first week of September, that's going to get cut down to 53 spots. So you do the math. There's a whole bunch of players that aren't going to make this team. And of that 53 – I would say that 42, 43 are pretty much etched in stone. So you have about 40 other players that are really basically fighting for 10 to 12 spots, uh, open spots. Maybe, if that. And so the whole notion that this thing was voluntary and that you you wouldn't put yourself in peril um, or jeopardize your chances of making the team if you don't show up is ludicrous and absurd. And I just wanted to get your thoughts I know that you have a coaching background and, um, you know, I know words are words and voluntary is voluntary, but there's certain times in life where you got to read the room a little bit better than what David Irving read the room uh, here in Henderson. Absolutely. And the thing about it is, like you mentioned, man, I mean, he's on, you know, how many lives has he been given by the NFL? How many lives and opportunities has he been given now? By the Raiders, you know, they, they saw him. They know what he can do. Rod Marinelli, I know he's backed him up 100% as he was the guy that backed him up in in, uh, in in Dallas when he was a member of the Cowboys. And, you know, it's funny because David Irving goes on this very radio station and talks with JT the Brick in, in, in great detail and says how much he wants to prove it, prove it, prove it. Well, unfortunately for him, proving it is getting out there during – 
in air quotes, voluntary workouts. I mean, that's part of proving it. Going out there and doing the work and showing what you've got and showing that you want to be there. Uh, you know when they always say actions speak louder than words? This is one of those scenarios. I mean, it's not even rocket science. It's like, hey, you go out there and do what you've got to do and show these guys that their faith in you is being rewarded because you're going to bust your tail. You're going to work hard to get where you need to get and be who you need to be for this team. And I'll tell you, man, I, I kept saying ever since the Raiders signed him, I said, look, he could be a great player if he wants to be. The question is going to be with David Irving, does he want to be? And by not showing up, that shows, even though it is voluntary, and I say it again in air quotes, He's showing that he did not want to be great. He just wanted to get by, and that's what he was doing in Dallas. That's why Jason Garrett was so upset at him. He knew that he had the potential to be a guy that got 12 to 15 sacks a season. Instead, he'd get three in one game, and then you wouldn't hear from him for three or four games because, well, he was satisfied and he wasn't going to work hard. That's unfortunate. These guys that are built like David Irving, you don't just get those guys. You, they're not, they don't grow on trees. But when they're there, you want to take the you want to get the most out of these guys, and, and unfortunately for David Irvin, his priorities are not to get the most out of his his own self on the football field. That's going back to Kansas City. That's going back to Dallas. That's going back to college. That's just who David Irvin is, and you cannot force someone to be hungry. You cannot force a guy like what do they always say? My mom used to tell me I can lead a, a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. It's, it's I know it's stupid cliche statement, but it's the truth. Yeah, and uh, that's why I said on Friday I wasn't disappointed in David Irving. Honestly, I'm just disappointed for him uh, because I felt like he had this outstanding opportunity to kind of get it back on track, and we all can watch the film and understand that uh, he can be an asset to any team in the NFL, you know, frankly. Uh, But, again, you know, you have to want it. And uh, yesterday, listening to uh, NFL radio, uh, Tory Smith, the former uh, Baltimore Raven player, was 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 on uh, you know co-hosting a show, and he was talking about you know when he was in Baltimore, guys like you know Ray Lewis and uh, and Ed um, Ed Reed, the the great the Hall of Fame uh, safety, they typically didn't show up uh, to OTAs until minicamp, uh, until the mandatory right. aspect of it, um, and. You know, and I'm cool with that, uh, Q. Obviously, there are certain players that get to a level of their career where they've established, you don't have to question my accountability. You don't have to question my leadership. You don't have to question my um, uh, production, my talent, how much I want it. I've shown you in my body of work these last X amount of years that I'm good with all that. And they have the clout or just the respect, the mutual respect between themselves and their coach to call the coach up and say, hey, man, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, I got you. And the coach's like, hey, man, do whatever you got to do. We we understand. So, yes, in that case, it is absolutely voluntary. Patrick Mahomes doesn't necessarily have to go to, um, you know, uh, OTAs. He, he does because he wants to. But he's a guy that's already established himself in that kind of a way where you don't have to worry about it. But And his, and his position on the team is solidified. But not everybody is in that position. And that's why, again, looking at, you know, a guy like David Irving and some others who not necessarily here with the Raiders but across the league who just aren't reading that situation correctly, you have to, like, scratch your head sometimes. Yeah, uh, those guys that you mentioned that weren't going to OTAs and, and the voluntary stuff, they earned the right to not do that, you know. And, you know, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. I bet you when he was a rookie, he showed up. You know what I mean? Because right. He had to show up. You know, he was sitting behind Alex Smith, and he was just trying to learn the lay of the land. I bet you he showed up. You know, and it, it goes back to the conversation you had about, uh, you know, the, the NFLPA that was encouraging guys not to go. 
and not show up. And we all said, and I agree with you 100%, don't tell a fourth-round pick or a fifth-round pick not to show up. He needs to be there. He needs as much uh, foot in the water and, and as much experience and as much taste of NFL life as anybody. He's not even guaranteed to make the roster. Give this young man an opportunity. Well, the same can be said about David Irving, who I know is not a rookie, but again, he's on his last strike. He's on his last leg in the NFL. This dude, realistically, and, and I know he's a big dude and he's, he's got a lot of ability, so someone may give him another chance, he might have just messed off his last opportunity to be an NFL player. And I don't know what that means to him right now, but later on he might look back and say, what did I do with myself? Why yeah, that, didn't I take advantage of the opportunity I had? Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to further your point about the, the Players Association sending that message to a fourth-round pick uh, or an undrafted free agent or whatever the case might be, or a, a guy like Henry Ruggs who's trying to solidify himself uh, in, in the NFL or a Brian Edwards, the other part of that is, you know, there you you are in a position of influence, and a lot of these guys they don't want to go against the union. That's not a cool position to put somebody in if they make a decision not to listen, not to heed your advice. That part of it too bothered me. It was like you know, don't come out so strong and force you know because I I, I got the feeling that a lot of these guys were under a gun, you know, figuratively speaking, yeah. to vote. To boycott, I don't. Th- I you know I've, I've said this for a while. I thought it was an obligation, out of respect to their their union. But they don't. They uh, most of them did not want to vote yes. They wanted to be in here, uh, these buildings across the league. I just felt it was a bad position to put young players in. Like you're going to defy us. You're going to defy your union. You know that's that's just not a good look to me. When when your whole job, your whole existence is based on trying to protect players and do right by your, I should say, union members uh, and collective membership, not just one or two or the top upper echelon, but everybody that uh, is part of that union. So I just didn't feel like it was a good look, and I'm glad that the vast majority of of NFL players see it for what it was and are actually at buildings across the league uh, getting their work in. We're going to go uh, out to the Raider Nation listener line. Houston is in Los Angeles, and Houston wants to talk about David Irving. How you doing, Houston? Houston, we got you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, what's up, fellas? Uh, how you guys doing? You, what's up, Benny? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, man, excellent. Uh, I'm not going to lie to y'all cats, man. Friday, I was a little hot about the David Irving thing, man, but... <laughs> Only because I know how bad our defense is, man. And um, he's a great – I mean, well, well, he seemed like he had good potential. But as I review it, man, and, and, and I've seen a couple things, you know, rumors here and there, whatever the case may be, man, you can have that mentality, dude, especially when you're on your last leg. And if there's some GTs out there that we have that are balling better than Irving right now, then, hey, man, go and hit the road, dude, because – if you got dedication, man, and you want to come to the Raiders, even though we're lacking in our defense, it's still about the best guys going to be out there. Now, he may have the best talent, but I have seen a lot of cats, man, where they've had talent, and talent gets you nowhere if you don't have the discipline, if you don't have a work ethic, and you don't have you don't have the real heart to just go out there and prove to people. I got a buddy. He's got a doctoral degree. Now, he wasn't smarter than any of us back in the day. But guess what? He worked harder than all of us. And look at him now. You know what I mean? So, 
you know, I, I, I agree with you now, Vinny, no doubt. I was just a little hot Friday because I'm like, dude, why are we getting rid of all of our defensive pieces, you know? Well, you know, and, and what's interesting about that, and I appreciate the call, Houston, is trust me, they're, you don't think that the Raiders were disappointed? They wanted this t- to succeed. Right. Uh, they know yeah. what he, he, he can bring to the table. So there was no question there was disappointment um, among the Raiders in, in you know, David Irving kind of pushing them uh, into that decision. Now, I will also say this. I think that um, there was a there was a feeling of this is kind of a long shot that it's all going to work out and and right. Q you understand based on track record and past history um, you're hoping for the best but you know that would require David Irving kind of changing who he's been over over the course of his career and at this stage of his life um, I I don't know I mean it, it it's not it's not impossible but it's probably less the odds are are against guys at that stage kind of flipping a new script yeah i mean it's hard to make you know someone be who they're not you know and and uh you know just uh tigers don't change their stripes right and that what they always say that's just kind of who he is and it's unfortunate because like you know like houston was saying there's so much potential for him, man. This is a guy, Vinny, you know, you can line him up outside. You can line him up inside. I mean, you can line him up all up and down that defensive line and get something positive from him. And, unfortunately, the Raiders won't have that opportunity. And that's why they wanted to give him a try because he was, you know, saying that he was going to go out there and he was going to give it his all and he was going to make sure that he did everything he can to, uh, you know, prove to the Raiders and the coaching staff that he is the guy that they're expecting him to be. And he just wasn't able to get it done, just didn't didn't take it seriously. And the one thing I'll applaud the Raiders for doing, and I know that a lot of Raider fans were up in arms about it at first on Friday, I applaud them for saying, hey, this ain't going to work, and let's just move on. And they did it early. They didn't try to force it. They didn't try to say, okay, well, we'll stick with them. We'll give them another shot. Give them another shot. You know what? It's not working. He's not showing up to this. I know it's voluntary, but right now we don't believe that he cares to be here as much as we care for him to be here. So let's go ahead and move on and allow someone else to maybe get some more reps or see if we can bring another guy in who might want it a little bit more and see if we can get something out of him. And, you know, I'm excited about the undrafted free agent. I mentioned it before out of West Virginia, Darius Stills. I know he's a little undersized, but that dude, you want to talk about a guy that's going to give you everything he's got, that's the dude who's going to give it to you. And I've always said, Vinny, that I'd rather go down with the guy who's going to give me every single thing he's got and work his tail off. It might not be the most talented dude, but he's going to be the hardest working dude in the room. That's the guy I want on my team every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Um, absolutely. And uh, But know, can I just say that all I'm saying is if the job tells you it's not mandatory, some people are not going to show up. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm not uh, saying that, I'm not I'm not defending him or you know all that good stuff or I'm not saying that the Raiders were not right to release him. Just saying, hey, sometimes the job say you ain't got to come, you're not coming. Right. Well, sometimes you you got to look deeper inside the words than just the words. Sometimes you got to look into it and say it's voluntary, but I need all the work I can get, and it's a good look if Coach Gruden sees me or Coach Marinelli sees me. Let me go make an appearance. I mean, have you ever done that where you just say, let me show up because, well, it's a good look. I don't technically have to be there, but I better show up because I know that they're going to wonder who's around and who's not around. Of course, but you said Marinelli, okay, that's his boy. He's the reason he got the job. He knows that he was good. I mean, well, yeah, he wasn't yeah. as good as he thought he was, but I mean, come on, but you know, sometimes it just comes down to good old common <laughs> sense, <laughs> and yeah. and obviously David Irving uh, lacked it. And Demond, 
Come on, man. I, like I said last week, don't get caught up in the semantics of it. Voluntary is a uh, sliding scale depending on who you are. Life's not fair. And right. listen, the Raiders were looking for every reason to for, for David Irving to show them that, A, he's a changed man, B, he's committed, C, he's engaged and, and, uh, and ready to, to uh, you know, uh, change his you know, colors, and B, a guy that can be depended on, a guy that's going to be accountable. They're looking for all of those signs, and he didn't show them any of them. In fact, right. he showed them the opposite. So it's just, it's ludicrous. And again, there's common sense in life. Either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, don't blame other people or anybody else or semantics or words if that bus keeps chugging along and leaves you in the dust because that's what life ultimately boils down to. Don't worry about the people you're kicking dust on. Worry about the guy that's kicking dust up ahead of you and catch up to him. And that comes with work ethic and commitment and common sense. David Irving didn't have any common sense. And I hate to say it, and that's why I said I'm more disappointed for him than in him because there is a human side to all of this. And for whatever reason, he's, it's just not connecting. The dots aren't connecting uh, with him on how you should conduct yourself uh, and, and things that you need to do to show that you're a professional. Uh, we're going to go back out to the Raider Nation uh, listener line. Heisenberg wants to talk about the defense. How are you doing, Heisenberg? Good. I'm good, Benny. I'm good, man. Listen, I'm going to make this quick but uh basically what we got going on i think is uh um on the defensive side of the ball i think everyone's thinking hey you know in the best case scenario we might go uh i don't know middle of the pack maybe we we improve from being a bottom of the league defense to middle of the pack and that's the brightest scenario i've got a bold prediction for you i think there's a real possibility that we make a big time jump and i'll tell you uh where i'm going with it if you look at the niners and i'm a bay area fan been a fan since the 70s out here but if you look at the Niners, before they got really good on defense, before, you know, uh, they, they picked up uh, the edge rusher there at the number two spot, uh, Bo, uh, Boza. But before they got all that, they had been stockpiling number one picks, number two picks, high-end picks, and primarily they were spending it on the defense. And they were picking up guys who were fast, athletic. You know, Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, Ark Armstead, for one re- reason or another, these guys were always injured or they just couldn't bring it. Some of them were labeled bust, maybe, you know, not reliable. But eventually they picked up an edge rusher at Boza. Boza shows up on the scene in that same year, I think. Ought to have been a year removed, but they picked up Richard Sherman at the cornerback spot, a wily veteran, a little past his prime, but to maintain the back. And they sprinkle those two guys in. They couple that with the defense of challenge they've been stockpiling for those years and all of a sudden they went from worth the league to this highly combustible flammable unit that just took over and so there's a real part of me that thinks you know what don't sleep on that defense if that defense rises up like that that offense is going to be plenty good you know top 10 i'd say at least and there's a real chance here that the the raiders may come out screaming here uh i'm glad you brought that up uh because the raiders have been adding young talent it hasn't all come together yet, um, and there's various reasons why. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, Q, we've talked about this last week. This, this rush to complete the process on young players, uh, I, it's a mindset that I just don't agree with. Yes, sometimes guys come in, a, a Bosa, uh, who's a top three pick uh, in the NFL draft and was you know head and shoulders 
the best rush defensive end coming into uh, the NFL in that particular draft. For guys like that, you know, there's elite players, and, 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 and God bless them, and we see it all the time. But there's a whole slew of other players in that first round and beyond that it takes a little while for, for it to come together. And especially when you're around a bunch of other young players, and in the Raiders' case last year, a bunch of new starters uh, kind of trying to figure out their way in a new system and on a new team, sometimes that process is going to be a little bit slower than you would like. And I just feel like fans and everybody else needs to have a little bit more patience. Yeah, I mean, you know, success doesn't always happen overnight for these young dudes. You know, it just doesn't. It's something that they've got to really kind of learn their role. And I think there's a lot of young talent on that defense. Uh, but, of course, Raider Nation is going to want to see the success. And they're going to want to see it right away. And, and the reason why is because they feel like they've been patient for so long. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's the reality of it is Raider Nation's been very patient for so long. And, unfortunately, they're in, you know, year four now with John Gruden, and they haven't seen – the playoffs yet. So that's obviously where they want to go. They want to see the playoffs. They want to see the defense improve. They want to see them take that next step. I think with Gus Bradley being there, I know we've talked about this before, I think he's going to get the most out of these guys. I'm actually excited to see what a guy like Damon Arnett's going to look like, what a guy like Jonathan Abram could potentially look like, You know, what tra- how Trayvon Mullen could take the next step. Uh, Corey Littleton, how does he get better? You know, I- I'm excited about these guys. How does Max Crosby in his probably new role, how is his rotation made better? And going back to the call, one thing I did like about what the 49ers did, and, and especially with their defense, and one thing I talk about all the time, they had such a rotation of guys. It didn't necessarily mean that they were the number two, number three overall pick in the first round pick all the time, but they had guys along the defensive line that whenever they wanted, they could rotate dudes in and they were still fresh enough to get after the quarterback. And I think that that's kind of the mold that the Raiders tried to do this offseason by going in and getting a bunch of guys on one-year deals, two-year deals that could just be rotational pieces. And then you combine that with Malcolm Coons, who I think is going to, and I go back to him all the time, I think he'll be a rotational piece. That defensive line, I think the rotation will be so much healthier than it has been that they've got to be more successful than they've been in the past. I'm going to throw some names at you, Q. Loren, uh, Lonzo Ball, Jordan yeah. Clarkson, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Larry Nance, Julius Randle, Ivaka Zubak. Yeah. That Laker team won 35 games in 2017. 2018. If you go back a year before that, it was in the 20s. And if you go back before that, it was like 17 or so. It was a bunch of young players that obviously had a lot of talent. They just were too young and too too many of them uh, on the floor at the same time. Uh, and look at those players now that I just mentioned. There's some really good players from that group that have gone on uh, to do big things. Uh, just keep that in mind when you think about a collection of young players. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Butter. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Tuesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Hugh Myers. Uh, Tomorrow, we finally get a chance to get in or get on the field, actually, uh, to watch the 2021 Las Vegas Raiders and see where they at in the development process. I'm really interested to see uh, who lines up at one of those uh, perimeter cornerback positions opposite Trayvon Mullen and who the slot cornerback uh, is going to be or taking the majority of snaps with the first team uh, at slot cornerback. In a sign of progress, 
if you really think about this, Raider Nation, um, the fact that we're really just talking about two question marks defensively in terms of uh, position battles, uh, I think that's a sign of progress compared to where things were just two years ago when there were just holes uh, all over this defense. But obviously now it has to translate onto the grass. It has to translate into improvement. And I've been saying this for a long time. If this Raider defense could get it down to 21 points a game, 22 points a game, uh, the whole narrative about this team changes because I think offensively, um, I don't expect them to miss much of a beat going into uh, next year. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to have our next guest uh, join us in the huddle, Bruce Gradkowski, a former NFL quarterback, uh, the al- an alumni of, uh, of John Gruden's um, coaching. Uh, we're going to talk to him about that. We're also going to talk to him about... <coughs> Uh, his quarterback rankings uh, that he just put out uh, about a week or so ago with Pro Football Focus um, and where Derek Carr falls in the hierarchy of Bruce Gradkowski's NFL quarterbacks. But first of all, Bruce, thanks for joining us in the huddle. Really appreciate it. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, no problem. So um, before we get into the rankings and who fell where, uh, as I was looking uh, at the rankings, and we've all done it before, we've all whether it's power rankings, position rankings, you know, uh, we're all uh, experts putting our whole spin on things. As, as I'm looking at that list, it kind of dawned on me, and I wanted to ask you this, uh, how much time did you spend, let's say, from 1 to 6 compared to 7 to 15? I would imagine that 7 to 15 – Gets a little bit more difficult <laughs> slotting guys in uh, in those spots. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you what, though. I, I think you know one to six, not so much. It didn't take take a lot of time, but you know because look, it's tiers, right? I think that tier one group, those are the elite, right? The elite meaning they have been playing elite consistently for years. Mahomes, Brady, Rogers, Wilson. So I don't know many people that would argue with the top four. And then you have Watson and Josh Allen that played phenomenal last season, but let's see it again. You know, let's see that consistency, uh, you know, again another year. And then, you know, from Dak, Lamar, Baker, uh, you know, those guys have showed elite, but once again, the consistency factor for a whole season or, you know, in big moments. And, you know, so, yeah, from that 7 to 18 range, you know, you got guys that are ascending in their careers, you have guys that have played for a while and played elite football that's descending. Uh, so there's different kind of levels. And then, you know, 18 you know, plus, it's just guys that they are who they are or they're just rookies, you know, and younger players. But it, it's just it's hard because, guys, I hate doing rankings because just because I have guys slotted a certain spot, it doesn't mean I don't like them or I don't want them to succeed because I know how much goes into being successful with that, that quarterback position. And it's not just the physical abilities, you know, it's the weapons around you, the team, the scheme, the defense, the t- you know, so much goes into being successful with that position. So I have a lot of respect what these guys are trying to do. And quite frankly, I hope they all ball out. It's just tough when you've got to put them in order. And it's like, geez, man, I, I don't want to do this, but. You know, let's go at it, trying to think how it's going to pan out for next season. Yeah, ac- absolutely. And, you know, for Raider Nation, um, there's there's kind of a split with Derek Carr. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, fans for him. There's other fans that, you know, want to move on probably. Uh, so you have, uh, you have that element of it. Uh, but when you start thinking about 13th, and I think initially when you see the number 13, um, if you're Raider Nation, you're like, and, and you're, you're, you're pro Derek Carr, you're probably like, oh, that's kind of a put down, you know, that's, but then when you start looking at who's ahead of him and who's right around him, 
every single one of these guys, Bruce, if you put the right team around them, can take you to the playoffs and have in some cases right. and maybe even take you a little bit further. So there's no um, discredit. There's no put down on being the 13th best quarterback in you know Bruce Gradkowski's rankings because I look around in and around him and th- all these guys in the right situation with the right defense, the right run game, the right weapons around him can probably get their team pretty far. No, absolutely. And I'll just take it from Matt Ryan, who's number nine, down to where Derek Carr is. And you know, you look at Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, the last five years, number six in passing grade for us at PFF, a 91.7. So Matt Ryan has been playing very well for a long period of time. And, yeah, he had a down year last year. But I just think Matt Ryan has been very consistent. Now, can he take his game to another level in that new offense with Arthur Smith? You know, we'll see. Baker Mayfield, I think last year you got to look at week seven through the playoffs. He was our second highest graded quarterback in the league. Uh, he also ranked in the top five from a clean pocket on standard dropbacks and early downs for the entire season. So those are stable metrics that Mayfield played pretty well. You look at Matthew Stafford, and I think a lot of Stafford is the ability he brings in the deep passing game, but also now matched up with Sean McVay. I think Stafford's going to have a tremendous year. It's just, you know, he's got to learn a new offense. It takes some time. Uh, and then Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill has really been spectacular thus far in Tennessee. And so you have I have so much appreciation for how he's been playing. I know that offense fits his skill set. They've done a tremendous job that way in play action pass. And Tannehill does a really good job using his legs. And I think that's what separated him and Derek Carr at this position was look, Tannehill really kind of scrambles on key third downs. He makes a few plays a game trying to extend plays. And I think Tannehill and Carr take some unnecessary sacks. They could be better at times in the pocket. Um, And and then, you know, when I look at Derek Carr, um, I think for Carr, he finished 2020 with the eighth best passing grade for us um, and more than doubled his big-time throws. And I just look at how, like, other, other areas, right? From a clean pocket, he ranks seventh. From standard dropbacks, he's tenth. Uh, no play action pass, he's third. You know, throwing beyond the sticks, at or beyond the sticks, fifth. Avoiding negative plays, fifth. So Derek, I mean, he's top of the line in a lot of categories. So you have a, I have to have, you have to have a lot of respect for him. I think you look at the Chiefs game last year, uh, early in the season. That was the only significant loss the Chiefs experienced during the regular season. I mean, yep. the last, you know, game of the season, they weren't playing their studs and. You know, Carr in the offense, they finished that game with 265 yards on six explosive pass plays. So there's a lot to love about their car. We're always in a position of why do we hear rumblings about the Raiders looking at another quarterback. But I think the names that have come up are like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, like guys, you know, that really are elite. And I'm not saying their car is not because he's, he's definitely displayed elite, but now can he – you know, for Derek Carr, it's like, can he get back to the playoffs? Can he find a way to win the division? Can he separate himself on that level? The stats will be there. I think Derek Carr's a smart, accurate quarterback, could throw the ball just as good as anyone. He, he uh, improved just explosive plays. But now, take your team to the next level, and that's what I look forward to seeing from Derek Carr. 
We're talking to Bruce Gradkowski, uh, kind enough to join us in the huddle today. I'm really fascinated by this, and we're going to get to uh, Derek Carr uh, and uh, uh, circle back to him in just one second. But I'll tell you who I'm fascinated uh, about, and that is Matthew Stafford. And I covered the Rams for uh, before you know uh, beginning uh, covering the Raiders here in Las Vegas. And in talking to some Ram folks that I know, um, one of the things that really intrigued them about Matthew Stafford and why they paid the price that they paid for him, they knew that they were going to have to you know, beat out some other teams and, and make a godfather offer, essentially, which is what they did. Um, they feel like Stafford is a nine that, with Sean McVay, can get to a 10 enough times dur- during the season to make a – not just during the season, but maybe even in the playoffs to get them to a Super Bowl, where they felt like Jared was kind of a – a seven, you know, that could periodically get to nine, maybe a 10 every once in a while. But it was it was tough sledding getting him to that level consistently, whereas Stafford, they feel like, is there and can get to that 10 level um, on a consistent basis with Sean McVay, with the weapons around him, with that defense now supporting him. Um, could you see a scenario where Matthew Stafford, by the end of this, is in your top five next year? I absolutely could. I mean, I really debated on put Matthew Stafford in the top seven. You know, to me, he he's a guy that I do think is going to have a really good year. You pair it up with that McVay offense and the explosive plays they could have, the play-action pass. You know, Stafford did really well in the system with Daryl Bevel. Uh, a lot of play-action pass, a lot of deep crosses, a lot of big-time throws that way. And I could see more of that. So when you have a smart offensive-minded coach in Sean McVay, now paired up with a guy that has the arm, has the ability, and can really maximize explosive plays, I think that's what the Rams will have this year. And now it's just a matter of keeping Stafford healthy, you know, and then being consistent with it. You know, I want to see him be consistent at the end of games, protecting the ball, you know, being aggressive, but not some boneheaded interceptions. And and I think he could do this that in this Rams offense. I, I really think the only adjustments going to be learning a new offense. I mean, we take for granted what Brady did last year, but it's like learning a whole new language. Uh, and that might be the biggest, you know, setback um, for Matthew Stafford. But it, it, other than that, I really think, I mean, I think he'll be fine learning it, but that's the only thing I could see kind of having the Rams, you know, sputter coming out of the gate. You've got Justin Herbert at 15, and I know that that is a, uh, probably a, a temporary uh, placeholder for Justin Herbert at this stage of his career. I could see him shooting up the rankings here fairly soon as well. Um, where, where did that fall, or how did that fall? What was the calculus uh, behind that uh, decision? And what's the ceiling here for Justin Herbert? Yeah, I mean, I think Herbert displayed just tremendous ability his rookie season. You know, uh, setting the rookie touchdown record. You know, he played very well when hurried, when there's pressure around him. He actually played better in that scenario than when he was kept clean. And that's my concern right there because the more stable metric is when he's kept clean, when he can, you know, make plays when no one's around him. When he has an open target, he has to get better with his accuracy. So I do have some concerns there, but you, you have to love what he displayed as a rookie, his ability, his big arm. And he, he definitely played well his rookie year. The, the thing, my hesitation now, fans back in the stands, there's going to be a different type of pressure at away games. I want to see how he responds that way. I feel like we're going to have a little setback from Justin Herbert this year. And, you know, in my mind, I could, you know, Big Ben probably should have been ahead of Herbert in that sense on my list. But I just think, think where Herbert is in his career, there's more upside right now 
and he just has to play consistent. We'll see what uh, the new staff over there in, in L.A. can do for him. And I, and I love the addition of Lombardi. Good offensive mind. Came from Sean Payton's system. I'm going to like what they do offensively. I am so glad that you mentioned the fan aspect uh, of this. And, you know, probably about a third of the way through, uh, I started talking to NFL people about the fact that it's going to be a rude awakening for some of these young players when they have to get reacclimated to playing in front of Bedlam. And you go to New Orleans, you go to Seattle, you go to Kansas City, uh, and on and on and on where – You've got fans that are there to make life difficult for you. There was no, there was none of that last year. I don't know if you got a chance to go to uh, a lot of games last year. I traveled with the Raiders. Uh, I was there at, at at every game, and it was eerily quiet. And you can see how the offense just was able to function. Uh, beautifully <laughs> from a communication standpoint, uh, not having to worry about any of that. How much of an adjustment, especially for these young quarterbacks, you just mentioned Justin Herbert, maybe even Joe Burrow and, and guys like that, uh, and everyone else really for that matter, just getting reacclimated to that aspect that we haven't had for a whole year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to take some adjustment. I think Josh Allen had a tremendous year, but now I want to see it with the pressure Ooh, in the stands, the yeah. fans, away games, Justin Herbert, you know, Burrow to uh, these young guys. I mean, you know, Jalen Hurts. It's going to be different. Now, it could be different in a positive way, too. I mean, I got fired up. I got juiced up when fans were in the stands. I love the way games. I love the noise. And, you know, barely being able to hear myself call the play in the huddle, that's exciting stuff. Now, some guys will feed off that. Other guys may implode off that. So that's what I'm kind of looking forward to seeing this season. I'm so excited to have fans in the stands because there's nothing like it, especially for Raider Nation. I mean, can you imagine that beautiful stadium packed, everyone dressed up, wearing the spikes and the face paint? I might be right in that uh, crowd at some point that se- this season. I would love that. Yeah, I think everyone is really anxious for that. Oh, okay, Bruce, last question. Um, getting back to Derek Carr, um, you know, ironically enough, he's the last man standing here. I think every, the, nas- the national narrative when John Gruden took over was that Derek Carr was not for long. John Gruden's going to go get his guy, whether it's a rookie or, or a veteran player. But lo and behold, four years later, these guys are essentially joined at the hip. That's not to say that, you know, John wouldn't go out and get a better quarterback, an Aaron Rodgers, if that really became available. But short of that, he's sticking with, he has stuck with uh, Derek Carr. And, and the results, at least from an offensive standpoint, have been pretty favorable. Um, what did you see in Derek Carr last year that got him to the level where I saw the, all the rankings in PFF, where he fell in all those subcategories that you were talking about, um, the improvement that he made from 2019 to 2020, and what do you want to see from him this year? Yeah, I think statistically he's fine, right? I mean, he more than doubled his big-time throws. I thought that was an area, a huge area of improvement this past season. I love the aggressive type play. I think we're going to need to see more of that. And then also just utilizing his legs. You know, take advantage. He's athletic enough to run for a few first downs here and there. And at the end of the day, I mean, look, it's it's about winning the big games down the stretch. And the Raiders have to make a run into the playoffs. They have to get back in the playoffs. And look, you can't fault Gruden for trying to continue to improve the roster. And that comes with every position. If you're not making the playoffs, as a coach, you got to find ways to continue to improve. And I, I don't think they're – Carr is always like, 
um, on the hot seat, but you, you, you're you always going to keep your eyes open, right? I mean, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I played for Gruden, and that, that's how it was. Like, there's a high standard to play that position and play it the right way. Um, and, you know, I think Derek Carr does play it the right way. And I think Gruden is happy with him. But now it's it's time to get to that next level for Gruden and Carr. And I think they can. I love the hire of Gus Bradley defensively. Love the moves they've been making. And I hope um, this is their year to get back in the playoffs. Bruce, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I could talk about this subject for hours upon hours, uh, but I just want to say thank you for spending some time with us in the huddle. You could follow him at BG at B Gridkowski, uh, uh five. Uh, you could also follow his work, and I always recommend this on at Pro Football Focus. They do a tremendous job. Uh, so so keep an eye out for him there, and also NFL Network uh, Radio, which you do a great job there. Bruce, thanks so much. Uh, we'll talk to you down the line. I really appreciate the time, brother. Yeah, thanks, my man. Have a good week. You too. You too. That's Bruce Gradkowski, former NFL quarterback, played for John Gruden, knows what that pressure is like and what that dynamic is like. Um, and, uh, and, and again, you know, he, he just mentioned all of those statistics that Derek Carr excelled at um, in a clean pocket and a not so clean pocket, um, doubling his uh, uh, explosive uh, plays and explosive touchdowns. I kept referring back to that last year. I know that the Raiders obviously have work to do in the uh, in the red zone, scoring more touchdowns. But they also doubled their more than doubled their explosive touchdown plays, their twenty or more yards uh, touchdown plays, and that I thought got a little bit lost in the translation because that's a big thing as well. Remember the talk last year? Oh, Derek Carr doesn't like to throw the ball long. Yeah, you have to have players that you're comfortable throwing the ball long to, or else you're just Throwing the ball, you know, up for grabs, basically. Uh, I thought Derek did a, uh, a great job of improving that area and a lot of other areas, including, as Bruce talked about, putting the ball down and running a little bit uh, and, and and playing with his legs as well, which I think he's going to continue to build on. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahia. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Our thanks again uh, to Bruce uh, Gradkowski for uh, joining us in the huddle. Yeah, those those rankings can be um, hard and difficult. And the top six or so kind of define them pretty easily. Uh, and that's usually the case. You can quibble. Like I, Aaron Rodgers, to me, is, is better than Tom Brady at this stage of their careers. Um, but, I mean, how can you argue against Tom Brady? just coming off the Super Bowl uh, championship again. Um, but once you get past that six, and I'm re- I really am, like Bruce was talking about, uh, the, the Buffalo quarterback, Josh Allen, I, I, it just kind of dawned on me. He had a tremendous year last year. There's no question about that. He came to Allegiant Stadium and was throwing darts. But there was nobody in the stands. There was nobody at opposing um, stadiums to make life difficult uh, on him. And I, I know a lot of Raider Nation, you've traveled, you go to uh, games, and you understand what I'm talking about. Like, it's just a different animal uh, when you have to go in uh, to New Orleans or Seattle uh, or, or any of these places when there's, you know, a full throng of fans on hand, ready to make life difficult for you, especially in big games. And trust me, that Buffalo game against um, you know the Raiders, that was a big game. That was built up as a big game. It was a big game. It was two teams at the time 
who were you know moving along in the right direction uh, in their seasons. And you know Josh Allen comes in here to Allegiant Stadium, and there's no crowd noise. It's quiet. You're able to do whatever you want from a communication standpoint. It's clean. You don't have to go to a silent count. In fact, I, remembering that game now, there was in the in the Buffalo Bills owner suite, um, you can distinctly hear. The, the cheering from the owner's suite over there. That was really all you heard uh, when the Buffalo Bills sometimes had the ball. It was it was kind of funny. You would never hear that um, distinctly and individually coming from the owner's uh, box. But because there was nobody else in the stands, you could hear that group of fans or, or, or that ownership group cheering on the Buffalo Bills, and rightfully so. Obviously, it's their team, and um, uh, no question about that. But it just goes to show you how quiet it was in that building. And as Bruce Gradkowski talked about, it'll be interesting to see if Josh uh, Allen, if there's a fallback to Josh Allen's performance, because let's face it, he looked like a different quarterback last year compared to the year before and the year before that. This is a guy that was, you know, I'd have to look it up, but, you know, he was hovering in the, in the 50s, low 60s on uh, completion percentage. Uh, and all of a sudden he became this, dramatically more uh, effective and accurate thrower. Now, granted, he had Stephon Diggs. He was uh, a year older, a year better, a year longer in the program. Uh, There's a lot of reasons to congratulate him for the season that he had. And to me, he's on the verge of being one of the better quarterbacks in this entire league. But you have to keep in mind, you have to take into account that half the times that he went out on the field... He did so not having to worry about what you normally have to deal with as an opposing team. Now, having said that, that goes across the board. All 32 NFL quarterbacks dealt with the same thing. And you can make an argument that maybe Derek Carr benefited from time to time uh, in certain stadiums, not having to deal with what he normally has to deal with in Kansas City and places like that. So even he, just as everybody else, are going to have to get reacclimated to a regular world, a normal world, compared to the abnormal world that we dealt with last year. Um, so we'll see. And I'm going to keep an eye on Josh Allen to see uh, where he uh, ends up this year, now having to play in a regular situation compared to last year where it, nothing was regular about last year. just want to say thanks to Bruce uh, Gradkowski. want to say thanks to uh, Q Myers uh, for hanging in there with us. Uh, worked him a little bit of overtime, but uh, it, I always appreciate it. Uh, Demond Cotton, thanks for everything that you do uh, over at uh, Home Base. want to thank the callers. want to thank the listeners. We'll be back at it tomorrow, and we'll actually have some information, some visual footage of the Raiders at practice tomorrow, day two of OTAs, phase three. Hopefully going to see some 11-on-11 and some 7-on-7. Really, really looking forward to tomorrow. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. Talk to you guys tomorrow.